As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Craftsman Online Podcast. This is a weekly program focused on the relevant topics in Freemasonry and the various aspects of the craft. Any opinions, thoughts, or viewpoints shared during this program are that of the individual and do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant, or concordant body from which that member may hail. I'm your host, Brother Michael Arce, co-founder of CraftsmanOnline.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode as we discuss penalties and obligations. As within each Masonic degree, Freemasons take an obligation, a binding promise between Masons, their brethren, and their lodge. Also included are unique symbolic penalties in each degree. Brother John Negi returns to join our discussion on the significance of the ties that bind our gentle craft. Welcome back to the podcast, Brother John. Thanks again for having me, Brother Michael. Now, to borrow your line, this is a Brother John line. If you came to this podcast looking for Masonic secrets, you will find none here. The ritual that we're going to be referencing throughout the episode. Uh, you can find it. We've talked about this before. Duncan's Ritual. It's been widely published for many years and is available to purchase from many sources. And we don't really have to point you where to find it because it's out there. But I think at a certain point in the ritual, we know as candidates who have gone through, we get to that altar, we take a solemn obligation. And I think one of the questions we have is, first of all, a lot of old English is used at that part, but what are we obligating ourselves to do, I think is basically what starts on that entered apprentice level. Every single obligation that you ever take in the Blue Lodge or Symbolic or uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of different names used with, around the world, but the first three degrees, all the obligations are basically saying the same thing. I promise to make myself a better, morally better man, and I promise to not reveal any of the secrets as to this specific degree so that I don't spoil it for others coming through. And also, I promise to support my brothers at this and lower levels. Mm. That's the gist of all the obligations. You're going to be a, a morally better man. I'm going to make sure that you don't share anything that ruins the experience for anybody else. And last but not least, uh, support your brothers at this level and below. Those that are checking in that are like, whoa, 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 you're talking about penalties and obligation. Oh, you're already violating one of the obligations that you would not talk about this or write this down or stamp or stain it or any of those other things. You and I have had this discussion. I think there's 
symbolically, yes, that that would apply. Uh, but there's also your definition of, to me, at least what a secret is. And I would agree that the modes of recognition, the passwords, the handshakes, those are the secrets. But into the deeper part of it, when you talk about some of the real experiences that you could only get going through our degree process, I think those are honestly the real secrets that are left in masonry. Well, I, I don't speak about what goes on in my ritual with anybody other than my brothers who are within the state of Florida and recognized throughout the entire world. But when I am on podcasts like this, I'm talking about rituals in general that are shared universally throughout the entire world, whether you happen to be recognized, uh, acknowledged, uh, clandestine, <laughs> uh, unrecognized, irregular, makes no difference. The basic script is the same and it is available anywhere that you look on the internet that you know what to look for. It's going to be there. So, yeah. As I understand the secrets in in practice, it is, uh, as you had stated, the modes of recognition, signs and grips and what have you, words. And we don't talk about the specifics of that with anybody who is not at the level that we are talking at. Other than that, you know, we're, we're just talking about Blue Lodge experience and some of the literature that's been published throughout the entire world for the last 300 plus years. That's the fun part, though. This isn't a conversation or material that, that isn't widely been out there or discussed or revealed in, in any way. And, and also to that point, our obligation, yes, is what makes us Masons. But I think all of us that have gathered around that altar and taken that step, we may have wondered where did the origins of the obligation come about? How did they evolve from what is now our practice ritual? Well, if you're talking about Freemasonic ritual obligations, they evolved over time. They were borrowed, quite blatantly borrowed, from the original Stonecraft, uh, not even guilds, the Stonecraft professionals of years past prior to uh, the formation of Freemasonry in and around the Grand Lodge era of 1717-ish. Uh, they went back, they combed through all the literature, all the documents, uh, all the manuscripts, and they said, we got to put something together that is uh, going to grab the attention of the individuals who want to have an authentic experience. So they put together a script and they planned and plotted and schemed, they even had uh, uh, the write-up, uh, which is now referred to as Anderson's Constitutions. Uh, which actually he gets credit for, but there was a whole bunch of people involved. Again, going, combing through old manuscripts, putting it together. But, you know, what's really interesting is if you look at what was actually written, there's some really neat, morally significant things written within the manuscript. But the drinking songs at the end, the 11, nine, I think 11 pages of a, a drinking songs at the end, kind of gives you a little flavor as to what that whole thing was targeted toward. It's a... Uh, a enlightening, entertaining experience with brothers, and they put together a beautiful constitution to kind of solidify what they were doing and legitimize it. But it was all barred originally from the manuscripts of years past. So when you talk about the obligations, they came from the old manuscripts, and they adjusted and tweaked and uh, kept them pretty well solid over the years uh, from one jurisdiction to the next. And you see minor differences. Some of the things that are promised 
and obligated toward. It's one of those things where I wish that I could hop in Doc Brown's time machine and travel back to the 16, 1700s when the language that was spoken then would have been more familiar than to what now have become modern today's Masons where we're like this old English. We're like, what, what did I just say? What did I mean? It sounds very similar to other oaths that I may have had to take at some point in my life, but an obligation is different. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, is there a particular part of our obligation that was meaningful to you for, for me, is the part where we talk about our relationship with brothers that are in need and coming to their assistance and being there supportively for them. And I'm, again, paraphrasing this because it's really maybe a sentence and a half. But to me, the deeper meanings that's in there speak to the principal tenets of masonry, brotherhood, and charity especially. Out of all the things that I said with my hand on that book, on the altar, all three times, the most significant phrase that grabs my heart every time I, I hear it in others being said, and unfortunately, I don't think they understand the significance of it. So help me, God. Mm. It is such an unbelievably beautiful request to our God, uh, the great architect of the universe, the, the creator, our, our master. Um, here I am on the altar along with every other brother that's gone through the obligation and I'm making a request for God to help me in what it is that I have undertaken. So many people misunderstand what that means. Uh, it says, so therefore God help me in what it is that I have just undertaken. Mm. And a lot of people, a lot, brothers, especially they hear it. And they don't understand that it is a request to God to assist the person who is putting forth this obligation on their shoulders, committing to taking up their cross and, and carrying a specific series of burdens and asking for God's help. And summarily turning around and saying, if I'm true to my word, God help me. And if I'm not true to my word, then I understand why you're not helping me. Very powerful point and, and leads right into the difference between a pledge, an oath, an obligation, because at that time, uh, as a well, once you take the obligation on the first degree, congratulations, bang, you know, you're a brother Mason. But in that moment, you're hearing these words. They sound important. They sound significant. You're told to repeat them back. You're, you're, you're stating all of this. I do think it's really powerful how you point that out, that at the very end, you're like, what did I just get myself into? But then later, when you have a chance to kind of reflect after that evening, when now you're a Mason, you can say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this, but I'm not supposed to be doing this alone. A lot of people, when they hear obligation, particularly uh, the individuals who are trying to persuade brothers to not be involved in Freemasonry, they say, oh, that's an oath, or you're swearing. Is, no, it, it's called an obligation, and it's called an obligation for a specific reason. The reason is because you are obligating yourself to become a moral man and be supportive of your brothers. And if, uh, if that isn't an obligation, I don't know what is. Now, in the obligation, there are precursors and, and postcursors that uh, have indications of swearing and oathing. And keep in mind that when you swear, 
you're making a promise. When you vow, you're making a solemn promise. And when you take an oath, you are also taking a solemn promise. If anybody here has ever gotten married at least once, you take a vow, which is an oath to the other party that you will meet specific guidelines in being poor, being rich, health, the whole bit, and not health, sickness. And you are taking on a particular role in another person's life when it happens to be a wedding vow. And you're doing that in the presence of family, witnesses, and even God, uh, you're, you're doing that in the presence. And when you take an obligation at an altar with your hand on a book that's supposed to be sacred to you, supposed to represent what's etched in your heart, you're not making a promise to your brothers, you're not making a promise to God, you're making a promise. It's like when I'm I'm coaching people and my clients, I, I tell them before they even come on board with me, I cannot hold you accountable for anything. And I refuse to get involved in that insanity. However, if you empower me, I will help you hold yourself accountable to yourself. And as long as you empower me, I'll help you keep track of what it is that you promise to do for yourself. But the moment that you disempower me, no longer empower me to help you hold yourself accountable, the first thing I'm going to throw in your face, real hardcore, and put you up against the wall, breathing down your, you know, your throat, I'm going to say, oh, so you don't want to be held accountable anymore here. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to spell it out. You either want to be held accountable or you don't. You know, it's not a game. I won't play a game. And if they want to play a game, they can play it alone. And the same thing has to do with an obligation. I'm asking God to help me. And the same thing goes with the accountability with God. He's not going to punish me. I do that to myself. He's not going to hold me accountable. He can help me hold myself accountable. But if I am not true to my word and if my heart's not in it and I'm being torn in two different directions, well, the punishment is the fact that I'm not true to my word. The punishment is that I don't have my heart in what I'm doing. And the punishment is I'm going to be pulled in two different directions. I mean, that is the punishment. And so many people think, oh, no, they're going to they're going to rip your heart out or going to rip your tongue out or they're going to, you know, they're going to cut you in half and pull you into it. No, you do it to yourself. You don't need anybody's help. Just just do not give your word and keep it one time and see what the consequences are for not only yourself, but the people that you gave your word to. What good is a promise if there's not a penalty on the backside. And that's the interesting part is you're sitting there going through these degrees. And usually by the third degree, you've figured out the pattern, you get what's going on here. But the one thing that changes is the penalty of the degree. And to this, I would turn to Mackey's Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, where he writes, the Masonic obligation is a moral one, which although it cannot be enforced by the courts of law, is binding on the party who makes it in conscience and according to moral justice. In certain jurisdictions, we hold ourselves to a symbolic penalty, which exists of 
probably the most gruesome punishment <laughs> that could ever be given to you. When you hear this, you're like, what? And, and for me, I got a little nervous because I'm like, if, if I say something to the wrong person or write something down that I'm not supposed to, are they literally going to rip out my tongue? Is that really what's going to happen to me? Uh, and you hear the stories and you, so explain these symbolic penalties, where they came from and how they ended up in our ritual. I'll give you some hints. The, the being torn in two different directions does come from scripture where they, uh, you, well, let, let's put it this way. There, there's an echo of it in scripture. Now, if you want to say it came from there, I, I, I shouldn't go that far. However, if you look at scripture, there's a particular point where a promise is being made and animals were severed in twain and they walk through between the two of them. And, uh, if you look at the aspect of uh, the heart, if you go to specific literature in Greek, uh, ancient Greek literature, like Homer, Iliad, the Odyssey, you will actually hear somebody say in two different parts of the writing about, if I'm not telling the truth, let my heart be pulled out and you know, fed to the fowls. <laughs> so, I'm listening to this. I'm saying to myself, Gee, that sounds awful familiar. And it's coming right out of Greek literature. And uh, I, I suspect the uh, the aspect of the, the tongue has to do with some of the penalties that were pl played out during the Middle Ages when people were not their word. I'm, I'm not too sure about that one. I do know that Proverbs 10.31, where it talks about if you're not your word, um, you know, it doesn't say we should offend the, uh, remove the offending organ, but it does say that one should be silenced if one's word is not true. And I'm paraphrasing. So you've got a lot of different hits and hints throughout the uh, early literatures, ancient Greece, the scriptures, and of course, the Middle Ages that you have varying places where they could have been uh grabbed from and inserted into ritual. I always thought about it in a sense of like, there had to be a vivid picture of what it would feel like to betray yourself and others that trusted you to be a, a moral person, virtuous person, if you failed at one of the obligations. But the way that you have described it, I have really sat back and thought about that more beautifully, that who really is the one person that can hurt you the most, that it, it, it's the most painful thing in life is when you let yourself down. Like no one's going to beat you up more than you are, literally. I'm starting to make connections here to some of the deeper meanings, I would say, to these penalties. So starting at the first degree, where as an entered apprentice, you're basically youth, you're you're trying to part ways with the childish, youngish things in your life to be able to move to that next middle part of your years, right? And what's one of the problems that kids tend to have? They don't know when not to tell somebody something. Anyone who's had children knows how many times you have to go through a rehearsal <laughs> before you bring them into a situation of what to and not to say. So when you think about the penalty of that first degree, as you said, if you... If you speak loosely, no one will trust any word you have to say. What's the point of being able to speak at all? So then I thought about the second one, which is for those of us that have made that jump from 
youth to middle age, you begin to consider, yeah, some of the top five most memorable things in my life. One of them was the day that I was raised to the sublime degree of Master Mason. Now, there's another list that I have that I don't like to think about that because it's the top five things where I really screwed up big time in life. And I can tell you, just thinking about those moments sends cold chills from the back of my heels all the way up to the back of my ears on the backside of my body. And it feels like I had my heart torn out of my chest and not in a pleasant way and had to sit there and watch it happen. There's a lot of myths around these penalties. And unfortunately, ignorance reigns supreme when it comes to them. We have a lot of individuals who have never gone through the obligations and a few who have, who have absolutely different interests than what is best for the individuals going through. And they use a lot of scare tactics and they use the Morgan affair as one example of, you know, some of the horrendous things that Masons do. And the fact of the matter is brothers don't have to do anything to an individual who violates their obligation uh, the individual who violates their obligation is self-imposed. And if anything, brothers will help get that brother back on track more than try to make them suffer for what it is they've done. They will give them second chances depending on what happened, and they will do whatever they can to support the brothers in getting back into that obligatory state. Rather than, you know, well, let's get out the knives. <laughs> Yeah, brothers don't do that. I mean, it's like what I was talking with you about last time about the eye for an eye. You know, you really, you yourself, if you're harmed or you suffer a violation, the last thing you want to do is suffer that. And if you truly don't want to suffer that, if you have any conscience whatsoever, you don't want somebody else to suffer that because you know what it feels like. So what you try to do is you try to make amends and you try to get back on track and repair whatever can be repaired and, and be civil, respectful, and, and considerate with not only yourself, but other human beings. So the penalties are, are no different than that eye for an eye. You know, you, you're going to suffer by your own hand and brothers are going to basically pat on your back, pat you on the back, and they're going to say, yeah, I was a dumb butt too at one time. You know, let me tell you what I did. And uh, they commiserate because every, everybody has some sort of flaw and everybody drops the ball at some time. So what are you going to do? Continuously remind them or are you going to say, hey, all right, you're screwed up. What do you got to do differently next time? Or or what do you have to do to repair this, make amends? Let's Let's get back on track. Always love having this guy, our guest this week. Brother John Nagy, thanks for coming back, Brother John. Thank you once again, Brother Michael. It's always an honor, a privilege, and darn fun getting together with you. After a long day, I, I always look forward to our time together. And for our listener, uh, I'll give you the heads up. The next time we talk to Brother John, it's worth doing a little homework. If you've wondered what the heck a hecatome is, do your research so that you can really enjoy our next conversation with Brother John in two weeks on the Craftsman Online Podcast. Incidentally, if you've enjoyed this episode, it's really easy to get more. You can just say, hey, Siri, or hey, Alexa, play Craftsman Online Podcast. Yeah, we're available on just about every streaming platform that's out there with new episodes every Monday morning. Until next time, let peace and harmony 
prevail. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.